Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a great message from one of our guest speakers. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. We're going to be talking about uh, Easter, what the, the significance of Easter for you, uh, what happened uh, at Easter, because whether or not you're a Christian, like you, you identify yourself with the Christian faith, uh, maybe you're here checking things out or here because someone's invited you, or maybe you are a Christian, whether that's five minutes or 50 years, what happened for East, at Easter happened for everybody. Yep. Do you know that? It's not just for Christians, it's for everybody. And so what I want to talk about this, uh, this evening is uh, one of the things that Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's not everything, but we're just going to kind of take a deeper dive into one of those things. Now, in your Bibles, I'll get you to just to uh, have a look at Romans chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have the scriptures up on the board here, for, on the slide here for you, so you can see those there. Um, I mentioned this morning that if you read through the New Testament, uh, indeed the whole Bible, if you read through the book of Acts, which is the record of the church beginning after Jesus died and rose uh, to the right hand of, of the Father, the book of Acts is about the church, its beginnings. And what you'll see in the book of Acts is the obsession... <laughs> You really can only call it that. The obsession that those people had with the cross, with what Jesus did, and the significance of that for not only them, but for people who were yet to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want you to, to know tonight that if you're here just checking this out, or you're, you know, I, I mean, I'll be really honest, I, I didn't grow up a Christian and I went to school with Christians and I, I was the guy that was drinking and playing sport, getting drunk every Friday night and Saturday night, playing lots of sport, drinking lots of beer. And, I, and there was a lot of Christians around my life. And I, I, to be really frank with you, I thought they were idiots. Weirdos, nutcases, that's what I thought. That doesn't, doesn't go out of a sense of humor. Now I'm one of those people. But I used to see them hand out, you ever seen Christians hand out stuff on the streets? And I was the guy that would cross over to the other side of the road um, because I didn't want anything to do with them. And, you know, uh, to be really frank with you, I was the guy that, that mocked them, mocked their beliefs. And, and, uh, but when I was 24 on the 10th of March, 1994, I had a profound encounter with Jesus Christ. And, and I wanted to be in church. I remember calling a friend of mine and I called him... Um, from Burwood train station in Sydney, and he, he said to me, this is back before mobile, this is, uh, this, yes, I'm a fossil. Uh, <laughs> so there were no mobile phones in those days. And I called him from a public phone, and he says, where are you? And I said, I'm at, I'm at Burwood. He said, what are you doing at Burwood? And I, and I said, I'm going to church. And he said, what are you going to church for? And I had no answer for him. Wow. I did not know. But Jesus Christ had come into my life and I suddenly found myself with a whole 
different orientation in life. And, uh, and, you know, it was the most profound thing that's ever happened to me. And tonight, I want to talk to you about one of the key things that you and I need to understand with what Jesus did on the cross. So are you, are you at uh, Romans chapter 3? Are we there? So let's just read this together. Um, as I mentioned bes- this morning, when you see Romans, you're looking at the Mount Everest of Scripture. It is the book that stands head and shoulders above every other book in my view. Because in that book, you see what Christ did laid out, particularly in the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. And the scripture that I'm going to read you tonight, this evening, is really the pinnacle of Mount Everest. It's believed to be many, by many, to be, uh, to be the theological or the central emphasis of the book of Romans, and indeed the work of Christ. So in five days' time, when we celebrate that, this is what we are celebrating. So let's just start from verse 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe, For there is no difference, Pastor Phil said this tonight, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace. That's what we covered this morning. I recommend that you go and have a listen to that. It talks about that whole idea. Uh, Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. Now, Now, that's kind of a funny kind of word. It's only mentioned four times in the New Testament, and we're going to have a look at what that word means tonight. Uh, Some versions, if you're reading in your Bibles, it might say sacrifice of atonement. Who's got that in your Bibles? Yeah, so sacrifice of atonement or propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Now let's just put that other one up there too, guys. Uh, Romans 4, verse 22 to 25. Um, uh, So put all the way down to 25 up if you wouldn't mind. I'm going to have to read it up here because I've left it out of my notes. So... Uh, I'll wait for you. I'll wait for that to come up here. But here's the thing with that: those scriptures we just read, is that <clears throat> uh, the word sin is not easily. Uh, it, it's not a, a word that's socially acceptable these days. You know, it's um, in fact postmodern thought. The the society that we live in now says that there is no sin. But if there's no sin, then what Jesus was doing on the cross was foolishness. Uh, there was no need for him to come. So he is not a mythical character, he's an historical figure. I hope you know that. He's not a story in a book, he's a historical figure. And you see him not only in the Bible, but other historical documents as well. So he's not a a story, he's actually a real man that lived and died on earth. And he's alive in heaven right now. So have a look at this scripture with me. It says here, uh, and therefore, this is talking about Abraham, It was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone 
that it was imputed to him, but also for us. So what happened to Abraham also has equal relevance for you and I. Uh, It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Verse 25, now here's the thought. Who was delivered up because of your offenses, whoa, and raised because of our justification. So this morning we talked about the second part. Tonight I'm talking about the fact that he was delivered up because of your offenses or because of your sin. That's why Jesus came. Now I know this is basic Christianity, but what I want to do is share some thoughts around that. And then as a believer, that thought that he was delivered up for your offenses actually makes a practical difference for how you live your life. And I'm going to share some scriptures on that. All right. So very important to to note here that there's a scripture in, I think it's Ezekiel 18, 20, I think, and it says, the soul who sins shall die. That's a pretty hard scripture, isn't it? The soul who sins shall die. And basically that means that God created you to live in perfect fellowship with him, in perfect relationship with nothing between you and him. That's how he originally intended you to live with him. And when Adam, your great, 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 great grandfather, (laughs) sinned, that relationship was significantly damaged. And so God, what you see in the Bible is God restoring man to a place of beautiful fellowship, the glory of God, his presence. He never wanted you out of his presence. He always wanted you with him. And what we see on the cross is is God executing a plan that he had even before the foundation of the world. And so when Adam sinned, um, God had to come and sacrifice an animal in order to clothe Adam and his, and his wife Eve. Adam had got together a fig leaf. You've probably seen the cartoon drawings about it. And Adam had made his own way of approach. He tried to figure out, how do I get acceptable to God again? And God came to him and said, Adam, uh, you know, the path you've gone down, you cannot come back. I have to come and get you now. I have to make a way for you. Where you've gone, you cannot retrieve yourself from the place that you have gone to. I need to retrieve you. And I'm going to retrieve you through the death of my son. And so we see this, Pastor Phil talked about this whole uh, tabernacle. If you're an Orthodox Jew living at Jesus' day, there was a whole lot of sacrificial systems that were very much a part of your Sunday service. There were sacrifices of animals. And what that was, was God trying to, um, God wanting fellowship with you. And all those sacrifices typified or pictured one sacrifice. And that is Jesus on the cross. So in scripture, hang with me on this. I'm going to give you a couple of uh, examples in a moment. Jesus is described as the sin bearer. That means that because our sin was so severe, a price had to be paid for that sin. Think about it like this. Do you think it's a fair thing in a, in a, a, uh, 
a just and fair society like ours, is it a fair thing for murder to go unpunished? Who thinks that's a fair thing? No. Do you think we should punish people who steal children? Yes? Yeah, of course we would. Uh, What about if we uh, let people who did armed robberies, what if we let them go and that's okay? Is that okay? No. No. The reason why that is is because a just society must punish wrongdoing. Does that make sense? A just society cannot let crime and let sin go unpunished. How much more does a just God need to punish sin? Do you see the analogy there? Is that God being totally holy and totally just cannot let sin go unpunished? Am I doing something wrong there? It's okay. Um, So that's a very, very important point. So I want you to go over to, in your Bibles, to Isaiah 53. Now this is probably the premier scripture on this whole subject. You and I could not pay our price for sin. Jesus had to pay that. And this, in this scripture here, I'm not going to read through the whole chapter, but I want to describe to you what this whole notion of propitiation is because it actually it actually is supposed to make a profound difference to how you see God and also how you walk with him and I'll show you that right at the end how are we going okay but he was <clears throat> verse 5 he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed verse 6 All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin... And verse 11, for he shall bear their iniquities. And verse 12, he bore the sin of many. The very reason why you can stand before God righteous is because Christ has taken your sin completely. And I want to just really emphasize that point tonight. So you're in no doubt that uh, that any of your sins he's still recalling against you or anything that you've done wrong, it's somehow uh, not being covered by what Jesus has done. So very, very importantly, um, I want to read you a definition of what this word propitiation means. And um, Pastor Phil really actually defined it brilliantly when you were talking before. This is what propitiation means. It means the satisfying or the appeasing of divine wrath by the offering of a sacrifice. A good society must punish wrongdoing and a holy God needs to punish sin. And that is the thought that lies at the center of what Christ did on the cross. You and I cannot be right with God unless what stood between you and I, you and him 
is first dealt with. Are you with me tonight? So that is what Jesus did on the cross. And, and what I want to show you uh, tonight is how that translates into your everyday. Okay. All right. I want you to go over to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Actually, sorry, before you go there, my apologies. Just go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I want to read you a couple of scriptures here that talk about just how complete Christ's work was for you and indeed for the whole world. Amazing. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says this. Colossians 2, verse 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How many? How many? Uh, How about future ones? Are they included? Really? Of course they are. So it's not just the things you committed before Christ and since Christ. It's not just something you may have shouted at someone or abused someone in the traffic today. I find that, uh, you know, the Bible says our old man was crucified with Christ. I tend to get him out behind the wheel of the car. I sort of resurrect him some days. I'm not proud of that, but I'm just being honest. And also your future sins. Do you know something? That when Christ died on the cross, all your sins were future sins. Did you know that? You hadn't even been born yet. The cross of Christ makes no sense unless all your sins are covered. Now, that's not an endorsement to go out and go for it. It's just stating a simple fact that what Jesus has done covers your whole life from start to finish. Now, that is very, very important because, I don't know, if you're like me, sometimes, and I do the wrong thing and sin, I can get troubled in my conscience. How about you? And you can get on this introspective journey and you can wallow in your sin for two weeks. Am I the only one that does that? Or has that sometimes happened to you? Thank you, sir. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> so here's the thing, is that we need to know that Christ has dealt with our sin once and for all. Once and for all. Okay, so the next scripture I want you to look at is Hebrews. Go over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. such a powerful book, the book of Hebrews. It's all about Jesus as our high priest. Verse 24, so Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24 says this, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Have you ever seen that for your life? Have you ever seen Jesus appearing in the presence of God for you? Not just for the whole world, but for you. Jesus appeared at the throne of God with a perfect sacrifice. 
He appeared there for you. Sometimes you've got to internalize things in the faith. Yes, it's for everybody, but it's for you. That's so important in this morning when we said that you are above reproach in his sight. One of the things I didn't get to was that word, his sight in Greek, means in his searching and penetrating gaze. How awesome is that? So when God sees you, he sees you, and unlike our eyesight, he can see through everything. He can see into the deepest recesses of your heart, your conscience, and when he sees, he sees you as being above reproach. How amazing is that? That's how powerful the work of Christ is, that it can actually transform you internally. So um, he's appeared in the presence of God for us. Verse 25, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. Then he would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Amen. He has put away your sin. If you never accept that, it's still true. It It doesn't unravel what he did. It doesn't undo what he finished on the cross for you. It's still as powerful as if you would never accept it. He is the savior of all mankind, especially of those who believe, Paul said to Timothy. So this is so important. So all your sins have been forgiven. This is vital to understand, guys. By Jesus himself appearing in the presence of God for you. He didn't need to do it many times. He did it once. So powerful is what you and I celebrate next weekend that it was only needed to be done once for all humanity from the beginning of time until the end of time. Let's give him a hand. Come on. So if you're a believer sitting here this morning, This actually radically changes the way you walk with God. And what I'd like to just spend the next five or so minutes on is a great scripture that talks about that. So I'd like you to go over to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to have a look at verse 1 and verse 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. Now... With John, the apostle, he's writing this letter so that we can enjoy the fellowship that we have with God. That's why he says, I'm writing to you so that the fellowship that we have, you can have, so that your joy might be full. That's what he says. What's interesting is that he brings up the subject of sin in a believer's life. And he uses this word we've been talking about, propitiation. So he wants us to know something very important if you do sin. Now, the Christian life is one where um, 
progressively, as we walk with God, we get more and more holy. That's called sanctification. It talks about growth in holiness. But here's the thing, and I'm gonna, let's read this and we'll make some observations on it because it's oh so powerful, far out. <laughs> 1 John chapter 2 says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. So let's just stop right there. So Paul's, uh, John's saying, I'm actually not writing this to you to give you a license to just go for it. He's saying, I'm writing to you that you may not sin. It's not God's desire that we sin. It sometimes happens, but it's not his desire. Let's keep reading. Um, And if anyone sins, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation, there's that word again, for our sins. And not only not for ours only, but also for the whole world. How inclusive is that? He's saying it's not just for believers, for Christians who acknowledge Christ, it's actually for the whole world. Now here's a very important thing. John's saying God's best for you is that we don't sin. But he says, if you do, I want you to remember something. And I want you to remember something very, very powerful. You ready? The first thing he wants you to remember is that you have an advocate. That word in Greek is the word parakletos, and it means one called alongside to assist. In its day, that word was used for a defense attorney. Who's, who's a lawyer here? Any lawyers? Have one this morning? Okay. So it's actually the word lawyer. That's the closest word that we have to it. So John is saying, he said, if, if you sin, I want you to understand something. You have a defense attorney at the right hand of God. So number one, you've got a lawyer defending you at the very throne of all creation. He's right there. He's right there. Not only do you have a powerful attorney, but he has a powerful case. Let's have a look at it. Let's have a look at his case here. It says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Now think of this, guys. He's not a lawyer who's removed from your case. He's the very one that paid your penalty for sin. Amen. Come on. So when you sin, now, John could have poured a lot of things in there. He could have said, repent. He could have said, don't do it again. He could have put, and none of those things are are wrong, but the thing that you need to know at your worst moment as a believer, you have a defense attorney at the right hand of God who actually is defending to his father that I am. I took the punishment for their sin. There's none left for them. Come on, someone shout. That's what it means. That's what it means. Propitiation means that all the punishment for your sin fell on Christ. 
And when you sin, he wants you to know something. If you sin, he wants you to know something. That Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God and he is your defense attorney. That's a very powerful thing to understand. You knowing that will actually help you walk more holy. Do you know that? You knowing that because you realize that God doesn't then turn around and go, how could you do that? You've disappointed me. I thought we were doing well, but looks like we're not. He doesn't say any of that. He says that my son paid your full price. There's nothing left for you to pay. This is so important, guys. So, so important. Because I don't know about you as a believer, there's been times when I've sinned or been caught in patterns of sin and I've gone on this introspective journey into myself saying, why can't I get over this? Why can't I get free of this? But you know what? And if you're in that situation, get accountable. Go and get help. Go and get help. There's some things, I would say most, you know, the, the purpose of the church is because we can't live the Christian life alone. You can't. It's not meant to be any more than you can go and play a game of rugby league by yourself. You can't. You can't win. You can't compete. It must be done in the context of a local family. And you're kidding yourself if you think otherwise. Because that, that, that notion is not in the Bible. It's, it's just not there, guys. Let's be honest. So here's the, so get accountable. If you're having problems with something, go to someone and say, you know what? I need help. Pray with me. Help me. Yeah. Amen. Is that good? Yeah. Let's just be real. But here's the thing that God does not want you to do. He does not want you to go down into condemnation and guilt. Why? Because Jesus is at the right hand of God and says, all their punishment I took on me, there is none left for them. Praise God. Praise God. I like to put it this way, is that the wrath of God was extinguished on the body of Christ. There's just none left. So when you do the wrong thing, if you do the wrong thing, God is there with the power of the Holy Spirit to pick you up and keep you going. The Bible says a righteous person shall fall seven times. That means more than seven. That means a lot. But they will get back up again. So it's got, don't, don't get into this, let the devil, you know what, isolation is the devil's church. Do you know that? Isolation is the devil's church. He'll isolate you and condemn you and condemn you and condemn you. That's why John wrote this verse. Okay, I want to quickly go back and we're going to wrap up with this. Yeah, because you know what, guys? It is so, so important that we understand what Jesus did on the cross. It is my personal conviction that unless we understand some of the things we've been talking about today, we actually cannot walk confidently before God because what it becomes more about the quality of our walk with Him rather than about the quality of Christ's walk with Him. It's all about Christ. It's all about Him. Um, amen. So I want to read this scripture to you again from Romans 8. Sorry, guys, this is not in my notes, but Romans 8. I want to go back to this scripture that we looked at this morning. Uh, because it equally applies to tonight. 
this scripture one more, then I'd really love the opportunity to pray for people. We had a great time this morning. A lot of people responded to, to God about being right with Him. So important, so important that you know in your heart of hearts that there's nothing between you and Him. So let's read this. This is in Romans 8 and verse 31. Romans 8 verse 31 says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Have you ever asked that question of yourself? If God is for you, He demonstrated how much He is for you at Easter. If He is for you, who possibly could be against you? Man. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That's you. It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? The reason why God can justify you is because God is not unjust. Your sins were punished fully, completely, eternally on the body of Christ. Now, all that's left is the favour of God. (laughs) All that's left. There's no anger left because all His anger was poured out for the believer on Christ. There's no anger left for you. Amen. One more scripture, and I I say this, this is a great scripture. 2 Corinthians, we're going to wrap it up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is for you if you're still doubting this. Verse 18, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, listen to this. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting your trespasses to them. God is not here tonight counting your mistakes, counting the things you've done wrong. He's not adding them up. One, two, three. He's not. Why? Because Jesus was made to take all those things and all that's left for you is the favour and the goodness and the blessing of God. Come on, let's give him a hand tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Why don't we stand together? That would be great. Let's stand together. What do we get? Can we get the worship team back up? Is that okay? Hallelujah. Guys, I love the scripture in, I think it's in Psalm 30, where it says, His anger is but for a moment but His favour is for life. His anger is for a moment, 
That moment was the moment where Christ was on the cross. All that's left for you is the favour of God. So here's what I want to do tonight. Is I want to give you, why don't we just all close our eyes? That would be a great thing to do. And uh, in your heart of hearts, I just want you to connect with God. Like Pastor Phil talked about, just His presence, you and Him right now. It's not about the person who's standing beside you. It's not about anyone else in the room. It's just about you and Him. Lord says to you, you are free. You've always been free. I'm not adding up your sins to hold you to account. I held my son to account for your sins. The punishment for your sins fell on my son. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Here's what I want you to do. There's people here tonight that have never um, started a relationship with God. It's like being married. If I asked you tonight, are you married? Have you ever been married? You could pinpoint a time in your life when you either did or did not stand and get married. You're either in relationship with God or you're not. It's pretty straightforward. So I wanna give people an opportunity tonight to start a relationship with the God who has completely forgiven them of all sin. (laughs) And the second group I wanna pray for tonight is if this message spoke to you and particularly if you're living under condemnation, you're really carrying a sense of unworthiness before God. You feel guilty before Him. You just don't feel like that's true for you. Your sins have been forgiven. I wanna pray for you as well. So as the guys lead us in a song, um, I want you to come forward. Guys, don't care what people think. This is a big call to come forward and for me to pray for you. What they, what they think is irrelevant. Be bold. What matters tonight is what Jesus thinks. Amen? Not what other people think. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3telgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon. Selfless faith to live like Christ for all our days.